Palm Sunday is always a strange thing to me. Um, I've never quite understood how to approach it as a pastor because um, as much as, uh, you know, there was uh, this great uh, parade of Christ entering Jerusalem um, as, you know, people throwing down their cloaks and throwing down palm branches and, and sort of this big celebration. Christ cried at one point during it. As he came to, to Jerusalem from the outskirts, he, he cried over Jerusalem. And, and, and I always find it really kind of awkward because the, quite, quite literally, if, if the people knew exactly who Jesus was, one week later they wouldn't have put him on a cross. So in a sense, it's sort of a, an ironic Sunday <laughs> that people were lavishing praise, but seven days later were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't get it. And, um, but we as Christians can understand. And so if we were standing alongside the road uh, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, um, on that on that Palm Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday now. What would you yell? What would you yell? What would you be saying? And so I want to encourage you this morning. Well, is there anyone here brave enough to say, I would say this. I would yell out this. Maybe we, you would say, I praise you, Jesus, because you're my Savior. I don't know. I don't know what you'd yell out. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what would you yell out to Jesus on the side of the road if he was walking through? Because you have the benefit of 2020 historical vision, looking back. You know what Christ would accomplish in a week because it's changed your life. Those people that were there that day that ushered Christ in, they didn't really know what they were talking about. They knew he was a great teacher. They thought he even might be the Messiah, but they got the Messiah thing all mixed up. They thought he'd be like a king or something. We know, though, don't we? So what would we yell? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Two thank yous right, running right after the other. Thank you, Jesus. I'd say thank you, too. You'd say it as well, Charlie. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Hosanna, which means Jesus saves. I mean, it might have meant something different, but I right. think that's very... <laughs> we can say it knowing exactly what, he, what that means, right? Hosanna! Blessed is he who goes and comes in the name of the Lord. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Praise him. I praise him. Right? I worship you. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love you. I love you, Lord. Yeah. It's almost like he should get a retake, eh? A redo. <laughs> With people that really know. <laughs> you know? He just did. <laughs> Pardon me? He just, he just did. did, yeah. He just did. <laughs> he heard this. He heard this. It would, be, it would be so cool. 
Amen. I'm going to uh, continue our study in Acts today by taking a look at, um, I think I think is a difficult and a challenging challenge this morning. I want to talk about powerless faith. Powerless faith, because I think that the passage in Acts that we're taking a look at today, that's the issue that's being being dealt with. I want to show you a picture of my my cordless drill. There it is. Except my cordless drill does not have two power packs or batteries. It has one. It was given to me, not as a gift, sort of like here I'm clearing out my basement. I've had this for 35 years. No, it's not that much, but I've had it a long time. You want it? And I'm like, it's got to be an improvement. Because I got nothing, right? Like, I, my tools are broken. So I said, oh, sure, that's, that's great, right? And uh, on the occasion that I do remember <laughs> to plug in the battery before I use it, um, even then, it's such a dinky thing, like it's really, it's, it's brutal this thing I've got. It, it only lasts for a short period of time, right? And I'm just like, at first I'm like, oh yeah, we're, I'm really going to get bang for my buck this time. Zoom, I'm putting in the screws. I use it as a screwdriver. I would never pretend to be able to drill a hole in something like it would be, that's way beyond my pay scale. So I would just use it as a screwdriver, right? And so I'm screwing things in, I'm like, oh, one screw, two screw, and then it starts to, three, you know, the third screw's kind of like, getting halfway in, and, and I don't know if you know this, but you can actually use a power drill as a manual tool. <laughs> I do it all the time. Seriously, because I'm usually pretty optimistic. Got a power drill, gonna screw these screws in. Zing, zing, <laughs> You can't know how dissatisfying and how discouraging and frustrating that is. To have a power tool and to use it as a manual tool. There's, there's nothing worse. I'm afraid that, that, in a sense, we can live our Christian walk in this way. The Christian walk is meant to be power-infused. It's meant to be powerful. And yet, many of us live frustrating lives um, where we're just not experiencing power. And I think the passage today kind of casts a light on why why that could be. And so I'm going to take a a look at um, chapter 19, and we're just going to look at the first seven verses. And I put them up here so you can read along with me. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them a second question, Then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And there was about about 12 men in all. 
So this passage should seem vaguely sort of familiar. Because last week we took a look at a guy called Apollos. Who also, even though he knew about Christ and actually was perpetuating the teachings of Christ, had only the baptism of John. He didn't know that Christ's mission was greater than repentance only. Because, as we read, that's what John's baptism was all about. It it was about repentance. But when you know about Jesus Christ, you know that there's so much more past being able to go to Jesus and repent. There's so much more to it. There's so much more power to it. It's interesting that um, these 12 guys that Paul encountered, he's trying to decipher where they're at, and, and he asks them two questions. The first one is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, he did that because you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ without possessing the Holy Spirit. It's sort of like the proof that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you are saved, that you have come into a relationship with him. The proof is that you possess the Holy Spirit. And so after that, he says, after he got their answer, well, they said, well, I don't even know. There were, they didn't say, they said, I don't even know there, there is a Holy Spirit. Who's that? And then he asked a question because it pops into his head. Well, what baptism did you receive? What, what Paul's doing here is what we call triage, right? You know, you go to the hospital, they do triage, right? If you go to emergency, they do triage. You get in there and and you're like, I need to see a doctor. But you get to sit down in a booth and they start asking a bunch of questions and they're triaging. They're, they're trying to figure out what kind of medical attention you need, right? Do you need immediate attention or do you need, um, you know, can you wait out in the, <laughs> in the, out in the hallway for another uh, three hours before you get to see a doctor? It's triage. And Paul's kind of doing a spiritual triage here on these 12 guys. And he decides, as did, remember these guys, Priscilla and Aquila? I love those names. Must have been a weird way. Priscilla and Aquila. Anyways, so last week we read that Priscilla and Aquila did the same sort of thing with Apollos. They're listening to Apollos and they're saying, man, this guy's impressive. He speaks so eloquently. He's a powerful kind of speaker. You know, he's engaging. But there's... There's something missing in what he's saying, right? And they had to explain to Apollos, Jesus Christ. They had to explain the gospel, not part of the gospel, not repentance, but the full gospel, the full picture of what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So if I could presume to get inside Paul's thinking, and, and, and that's really presumptuous. I'm thinking that he's wondering why these 12 guys are called disciples, seemingly devout followers, 
But they don't have any power. There's, there's no power in them. There's no life in their faith. And he does this triage. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he assumes, because this is his first question, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Because we know that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And he, they, he just assumed, wow, these guys haven't received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, well, then they probably haven't been baptized into Christ or they haven't uh, received a Christian baptism. And, and sure, sure enough, they hadn't. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we live so far in the distance from when all this stuff was sort of happening. But there was two baptisms. There isn't now. But there were two baptisms. There was one which was John's baptism. Right? And then there's what I'll call Christian baptism. And because, you know, John the Baptist is so close in the book of Luke to, you know, Jesus and then the book of Acts when there's baptisms going on, it kind of gets all mumbled up, but jumbled up in our minds. But we need to distinguish the difference between John's baptism and a Christian baptism. John understood it. John the Baptist we're talking about. He understood it very well. He said these words in Matthew 3. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, there's two different baptisms. There's a John's baptism and there is a, I'll call, Christian baptism. The baptism that comes after you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, that's not what John's baptism was about. But it was a step in the right direction. Right? It was good, but wasn't perfect. So, bear with me. I, this is going to seem a little theoretical, maybe. But I want to compare the two baptisms because I, I, there's truth in it. There's something that's going to help us apply this truth to us today. So I'm going to compare John's baptism to Christian baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of cleansing. And this was not unfamiliar to the Jewish people. They, they did this sort of cleansing stuff. Jesus even taught about, you know, cleansing, the ceremonial cleansing. So this idea of, of cleansing stuff or people was not uncommon. And so John's baptism was symbolic, right, of cleansing. You'd come to John and you would say, man, I'm a sinner. And he would dunk you and cleanse you. From your sins. That's why it was called a baptism of repentance. The next thing we need to know is that it was a pre preparation for the Messiah. So, once again, incomplete was just sort of a foretaste of something further. 
that was coming. And it was to get people ready, cleaned up, ready for the Messiah to come. It was temporary. John's baptism only only lasted as long as John, pretty much. Okay? So it was a temporary kind of baptism. It was planned and predicted. It was all part of the big picture. Isaiah actually talked about John coming in advance of Jesus or the Messiah. So it was temporary. It was planned. It had a purpose. But it wasn't the fruition or the culmination of what God was planning to do. Did you know that it was limited to the children of Israel? It was the Jews that were being baptized. It wasn't like everybody being baptized. The Samaritans, there's no record of the Samaritans going down to get John's baptism. It was a Jewish thing. The Jews would come from Jerusalem, and they would pour out to the Jordan, and they would get cleansed, recognizing their sinfulness in the hope that they could bring in the Messiah, prepare for the Messiah. And then finally, I would say that even though the Holy Spirit is mentioned once with John's baptism, and you know when that was, that was when Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove on Jesus. There's no other accounts of people like receiving the Holy Spirit because of John's baptism. This makes sense because it's a precursor. Jesus for the most part, hadn't even started his ministry yet. Hadn't come to do what he was called to do. And John was baptizing people. Now let's see the stark difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. Christian baptism is symbolic too. But look at the symbolism. It's not just cleansing. It is an identification with Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of every believer who believes in Jesus Christ and gives his heart to Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection. It's not a cleansing. It is a changing from the old man to the new man. Huge difference between cleaning up and transforming. The old creation, the old creature is dead. Dump. And the new creature, the new creation has come. So it's symbolic of death and resurrection. It's not a preparation for the Messiah. It's a proclamation of the Messiah. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. It speaks of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. We do it and have done it and will do it until Jesus comes back. Until his return. And then there won't be any need for it anymore. So it's a lot longer term than John's baptism. It's for every believer who comes to Jesus Christ, that they should be baptized. Remember when Jesus left? He said, I want you to go throughout the world and I want you to baptize people (laughs) after they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
It too was planned and predicted. Obviously, the Messiah and what he was coming to do was planned and predicted. It is for all believers, not just the Jews, for everybody. Remember the Ethiopian who Philip somehow caught up with as he was running, as he was uh, the Ethiopian guy, Ethiopian eunuch, don't forget that. <laughs> He's going, going along in his chariot, and, and Philip somehow catches up with him, and, 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 Phil, and Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch, comes to Christ, and he says, can I be baptized? And he gets baptized. It's for everyone, not just the Jews. And it is identified with the Holy Spirit. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is uh, presided over. It is symbolic of. It's immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present in this baptism. But remember, it's symbolic. There's nothing sort of magical about it. But it symbolizes something that has occurred, something significant that has occurred, occurred, sorry. So there's a good question now. Was John's baptism Christian? <laughs> well, not truly. It was pre-Christian, right? It, it was helpful in helping people get ready for Christ and his work and what he was going to do, which then would be symbolized through Christian baptism. You see, being baptized into Christ is a symbolic act, but it declares that you have accepted the gospel, the full gospel, not just the repentance piece. And this is important, right? This is how we enter into our relationship with Jesus Christ. But there is so much more that with a relationship to Jesus Christ than just constantly running to him and saying, I blew it again, please forgive me. That is such a limited understanding of what it is to be a Christian. Christian baptism gives a much better idea of the big deal or what's all involved. Because Jesus Christ came not just to be the person that you can come to and ask for forgiveness all the time. He came to change you radically. To actually literally change your status before a holy God from being an enemy of God. That's who everybody's an enemy of God if they're not in Christ. To a child of God. From enemy to child of. It's a change in status. Not only that, but he came to empower us to become like him by giving us the Holy Spirit. And so, <coughs> conversion is not just accepting that we're sinful and we need a Savior. It's much more than that. Is yes, I need a savior, but I recognize that Christ is going to transform me. 
He's going to fill me with his power, and he's going to radically change who I am. I'm no longer just going to be, you know, living my life and occasionally having to go in and sort of get forgiveness. I am going to have a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ that is, is going to translate into growth in me. I'm going to become more like Christ. I'm going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in me. So when, when Paul found out that these 12 men didn't know the Holy Spirit, he knew that they hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because if they had, they would have received the Holy Spirit. And there wouldn't be this nagging thing like, why are these guys just powerless and just dependent on repentance? It's so much more than that. And this is why we see, he said, um, on hearing this, this is verse 5 and 6, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These guys were baptized twice. Did you notice that? <laughs> they got John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, but that's just so incomplete. They needed a baptized baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. They needed the full package. They needed to not just get forgiveness. They needed to be changed, radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened when they were? Guess what happened when when they, they were baptized second time? It, it they started to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in another tongue they didn't know, and they started to prophesy. <laughs> These disciples, who had that limited understanding that Christ is about repentance came into the fuller understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in them because they were a new creation, a new creation in Christ. Does your Christian experience feel like you're using a power tool as a manual tool? This account would suggest some understanding that there's in an incompleteness or there's a gap or a void in your understanding of what it is to be a Christian. You may accept your need to repent and you might be quite satisfied at that level, but that's not what it is to be a born-again Christian. <laughs> right? It isn't. It's the first step, but there's more. If there's no after repentance, no anticipation of the fact that you are clothed in Christ and that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the power to change, you've only gotten part of the way. Your theology is incomplete. You're unorthodox, right? You're only part way to where you need to be. Did you know that Scripture tells us that we possessed the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead? 
that type of power that can change something that is dead into something that's alive, that's a power that nobody's going to be able to generate in this earth. As smart as we think we are, nobody is going to bring anything back to life. That is only the power of God to do that. And we possess that power. And so if we live lives as Christians that basically just is, you know, I'm going to try to live my life the best I can. And then, I'm, you know, I, I know I'm going to mess up, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness all the time. I would suggest to you that your theology is, is like the 12 and like, the, and like Apollos. It's incomplete. You don't know the full ramifications of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The implications can be profound. The Holy Spirit has the ability and the power for us to help overcome bad habits, addictions, dysfunctional ways of thinking about things. He has the power to help us overcome sin so that we are not constantly doing the same sin over again and running back to get forgiveness. He has the power to help us overcome fear. He has the power to help us to be effective ministers in the, in the, in the church, that we can be vibrant, contributing members of the body of Christ. He gives gifts just for that purpose. He has the power to change your character so that people don't just have to say, oh, well, that's just so-and-so and they'll always be that way. That, that is, I'll tell you, if people say that about somebody, I doubt very much that they're a true follower of Jesus Christ. That's just them and that's just the way they'll be. That is a slap in the face to Jesus Christ and what he came for. He didn't come just to forgive you. He came to change you, to make you new, to fill you with power so that you can overcome all the stuff that keeps messing up your life and your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Jesus Christ came for that, not just to forgive you. And I think some people, maybe when they get baptized, they're really not getting baptized into Jesus Christ. They're, getting in, they're having John's baptism. They just look at it as forgiveness. They don't see it as a transformation, an about face, 180 degrees, turn around. Totally changed. You were an apple, now you're an orange. You no longer need to feel powerless. Jesus doesn't want us to feel powerless. He wants us to know and experience the power of what it is to be a new creation in Christ and to be filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Don't use a power tool to be a manual tool. It's crazy, right? It seems silly. But we do. Get plugged into the power of the cross. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for all that you did on Calvary. Oh, yes. We know we are sinners, and we know that we need to be forgiven by a holy God. But I thank you, Lord, that you did more than that. You came to transform us, to renew us, to, to give us opportunity to have a spiritual life that would extend be far beyond, for eternity, past this life. We were dead in our transgressions, but now we're alive in Christ. Lord, help us to grasp this. Help us not to, 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 to be satisfied with the baptism of John. Help us to appreciate the full implications of the baptism that those early believers were involved in. They, they baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They did it based on understanding the full gospel. Help us to appreciate that. And help us, Lord, to tap into this bottomless reserve of power that you have for us in your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you so much. You're so good to us. Amen.